good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you can put a 225 in front of that if you need to and call us from anywhere inside the United States. That's right. And right now is the perfect time to get your calls answered in-depth. Should you happen not to make it this morning to get you a live answer to your question, you can get your questions answered any time of the day or night within 24 hours by going to our website. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. Just go into the contact form, fill it out, send it to me. I'll be glad to get an answer right on back to you. Never mind doing that. That's the only way other than the show. <laughs> That's a fact. Yeah. A lot of times, folks, will try to call at the shop. And, of course, one of the ladies is going to answer the phone and just tell them I don't take calls during the week. and. Not that I want to be rude or anything out, but like I said, I just 100% of my time is required just to do the job that I have to do there. And yep, as much as I'd like to talk to you, I just don't have time to come to the phone and ask questions during the week. So please don't do that. But call the show, best thing. That's it. And right now is the best time. I know at the end of the show, a lot of times we have folks holding. And right. Even if they call maybe just a few minutes before the show goes off, we just don't have time to feel the call do the follow-up to get uh -huh. out you know certain things you have to do and say before you can get out sure you just not enough time there to uh, have a call so a lot of times folks just have to call get go. that would be the best thing yeah i thought we would talk today i had a gentleman who had emailed the other day and he was talking about doing some brakes on his car uh-huh and i think that brakes are one of those things that is deceptively it seems easy enough it seems very 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 simple and like a guy told me once everything is simple to a guy who doesn't know how to do it exactly it's just that the more you start to learn then you start to know all the little nuances and all the other little things that you have to right. look for i mean yeah popping a set of brake pads on a car is easy peasy sure as long as you got the right tools to do it with and that sometimes will work but many, many, many times that is going to go wrong. And it's going to go wrong in all sorts of different ways sure. because you just didn't know enough about it. And it's not that hard to know how to do it right. It just takes a little bit of thinking and a little bit of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And brakes have not changed a tremendous amount. There are some differences in them than what we used to have. But well, you used to have four-wheel drum cars, mm -hmm. drums on the front, drums on the back. And when the invention of front disc brakes came out, that really made a big difference in the way cars stopped. They stopped a lot better. They dissipated the heat a lot better. But when they took the concept of putting them on the front, and then they decided, hey, let's put disc on the back. Well, and see, a disc brake operates a lot differently from a drum brake, and then you get into balance kinds of problems Correct. when you start mixing them. Because a drum brake, when you start applying hydraulic pressure to it, the pressure has to overcome the springs inside the before it can start to apply the shoes. shoes. But with a disc brake, you don't have that. When you apply pressure to it, it immediately engages. So right. if you combine the two, you've got to have some sort of a metering or proportioning valve to balance those pressures out, to hold the pressure off on the front until the rear can engage. And so right, because if you don't, the fronts are going to lock up before the rears do. That's right, and that was all self-balancing when you had four-wheel drums. Right. And even with four-wheel discs, it's more or less self-balancing, although you do have a differential in size that has to be allowed for. And they still but, have a fluid differential because the rear calipers are not as big mm -hmm. and the rear shoes are not as big. Therefore, they don't stop as – they don't use as much – material to stop the vehicle as the fronts do the fronts do more of the stopping right most cars the front has most of the weight and so therefore they're going to do most of the braking they're biased towards the front correct and 
on most cars, as most people know, the fronts wear out before the rears do because mm-hmm. they do do more of the work. Now, there are some notable exceptions to that. There are. Some of the Chevy pickup in that range from, what was it, about 88, eight, 89, all the way up to about 2005 or six, the rears would wear out before the fronts did mm-hmm. because they yep. used a four-wheel disc, and they used a relatively small pad in the back, I guess trying to bias it out a little better. But they would last a long time, but the rears would go out before the fronts for the right. most part. And there are a handful of cars like that. And where I'm going with all that is when brakes wear out, the very first thing you need to do is to inspect to know the total scope of the job. And not just inspect the part that wears out. Right. Don't you need just to look at the front. The whole system. Right. Front and rear. Every single time, you need to get the entire car lifted up, all four wheels off, and look at every piece of it. And even before that, the first thing you need to do is a good test drive. Sure. The things you're looking for on a test drive. When you hit the brakes, does the car dart off to one side and then come back, or does it dart off to one side and keep going? Does the steering wheel shake in your hand when you hit the brakes? And that's kind of a deception because at a slower speed, you're not going to notice that too much. But if you get up, say, 55, 60 miles an hour, and you get on the brakes a little bit and the steering wheel shakes in your hand, that is a symptom that needs to be correct. It's not going to get better. No, and no, it's, it's definitely not going to get better. And it's a lot less expensive, and the job's going to last a lot longer and work a whole lot better if that is dealt with. Right immediately well dealt with in the entire phase of doing the brakes not just throwing a part at it and keep driving once you've done that then like lewis was saying you need to come back lift it up in the air take all the wheels off you need to inspect the pads inside and out if it's a disc brake or front and back if it's a drum brake and take a look at see how they're wearing because sometimes the way particular caliper works is it has two pins that the caliper slides on. Mm-hmm. So when you apply the brakes, the inside pad comes out, touches the rotor, then it pulls the caliper over and touches the outside pad into the rotor, and that's how it stops the vehicle. Well, those slides can become bound up. They'll mm-hmm. dry out and they'll stick, and when you apply the brake, instead of the, well, when you apply the brake, the caliper works like it's supposed to, but when you release the pedal, it's supposed to release the, sh- the pads from the, the rotor shoe. so it doesn't drag. Well, when the slides bind up, that shoe gets bound up against the rotor, and it will bind, and it will wear out faster than the inside will. Right. So the first thing you're looking at is are all of the pads worn about the same amount? Now, I mean, all the pads on the front and all the pads on the back, not necessarily front to rear. But let's say the left front outboard pad is worn considerably more than the inboard pad. Well, then you're looking for something like a caliper slide hanging up. Right. Now, let's say both pads on the left side are worn more than both pads on the right side. Then you're looking at pressure fluid problem. Differential type um, problem. Could be a hose. Could be a caliper hanging up. That happens. Could um, be a master cylinder. Could be a master cylinder because hanging up. a lot of them now have diagonal braking where a front is tied to a rear and cross braking. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of people say, well, no, it couldn't because the other side is not, and the master cylinder works the front and the back. But no, not always. A lot of the cars now are diagonally biased. Right. So Instead the left front, front may be tied to right rear and right front to to left rear because if you lose half the system, just the rears won't stop the car. Exactly. Many cars. So they put one front and one rear on either side of it. Now, what happens, let's say you've got drum brakes on the rear. There's a lot more material back there. So if the master happens to fail and apply the front, the rear is going to wear more, but it's not going to be nearly as noticeable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times on smaller cars, the rear doesn't do that much stopping anyway. Right. The rear shoes will last a long time, probably outlast two sets of fronts. Right. 
or let's say the rears get way out of adjustment, which we're going to talk about later in the show. Correct. They may not be working any longer. The front is now doing all the stopping. It's going to slaughter one side. Sure. Now, just go in and put a set of pads on, and the same exact thing is going to happen again. Right. Plus, it's probably going to warp the rotor because that one rotor is doing a lot more work than the other. And the heat's building up in it. Point is, you have to go in and inspect how much the pads are worn side to side and front to rear. And you got to understand how the system is set up. That's right. Now, another thing is where the top of the pad may be worn more than the bottom of the pad. On a particular side, side. inside or outside. Again, you could be into a caliper slide hanging. I've also seen where both pads are worn more on the top and one's more on the bottom. The other side is more on the bottom and the other one on the top. Right. And that indicates something like a bent spindle or something out of a line, bent caliper bracket or something where the caliper and the rotor are no longer parallel to one another. And I know we had a car came in. It just it cut those pads at a noticeable angle. Yeah. And what we found was the spindle was bent. Right. It had been in an accident. Everything had been fixed. And, well, I say everything, that, just didn't that, get, didn't get, got overlooked. that got overlooked, and it showed up later on as a brake problem. It took about a year before it wore the pads at an angle like that, and the first time around it took a lot longer because they just put another set of pads on it. Sure. Then when it occurred again, the owner said, whoa, something else is wrong, brought it to us, and we found a bent spindle, right. which is also causing other problems. But the point is, it requires a full inspection of all four wheels every single time. Mm-hmm. And, like I said, if you just check the two, you're going to go wrong many, many times. Oh, yeah. We had a guy come in one time. He wanted front brakes on his car, and we pulled the rear off and had a spring come loose and chewed the drum up in the back. Sure. So, luckily, we had checked all four. Hey, take a quick little break and be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office, and whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on y- the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we've got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Louis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. I have a 2010 Chevy HH car, 0.2 liter. And my engine light came on and said the exhaust cancel positioning actuator. Now, it'll go on. It'll stay on for 100 miles, and it'll go off for 500 miles, and the light yeah. comes back Yeah, well, that's on. pretty common. Right. The number of things that that can be, I mean, it's, it's several things. The solenoids give a lot of trouble, but, again, you have to manually check it. There's also a sensor on it that can gives a fair amount of trouble. Now, a couple of other things you would not expect. If you've got the wrong oil in it, the wrong viscosity, that will cause that. Also, if the oil is real dirty, it can cause that. Or if it's low, it can cause that. Because it's all run by oil pressure. So you got to watch, make sure you got the right oil in it, which I'm sure you do. 
hope I did. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen people put yeah. 10W30 and 20W50 and everything. It will pop that light in a heartbeat. It's got to be the right all. It's got to be 5W30. It's got to be relatively clean. I know they say you can go eight, ten thousand miles and all that crud, but no, I don't do that. Yeah. It'll start popping that light. Another thing, make sure you got an AC Delco oil filter on it. Some of those cheap aftermarket filters can cause that problem. But okay. if it's none of that, it's very likely either going to be the solenoid or the sensor. Now, I've seen those sensors go bad. We change the sensor. We change a lot of the solenoids that operate it. If it's none of that, it could be an internal engine problem. Something with the timing chain is stretched or cam gear broke, but that's fairly rare for that to happen. And finally, it could be a malfunction in the PCM, but again, that's fairly rare. So you just got to go in and do a little bit of detective work. There's some things you have to check, and then you can break it down as to which yeah. one it is, replace the part or problem, and then you'll be solved. Well, you probably didn't check the ohms on this sensor, I'm sure. Not I necessarily. Doubt it, seriously, most sensors today are not. They're going to be Hall Effect type sensors. Right. There's not any kind of ohms or anything you can check. You've got to have a scan tool or something or a digital lab scope to check them. If you take a uh, factory scan tool, you can go in and you can watch the the data that it's picking out. Right. You can see what and you PCM can determine. You can determine if it's the sensor malfunctioning or if it's getting a bad signal to the sensor, and the sensor is just reporting a bad signal back. So it's just going to, like Lewis said, it's going to take some de- detective work with the right materials, the right component, and go from there. I mean, it's coming on and going off. Well, that's just normal. And, yeah, that's the normal reason, operation. If you go reason, on my website and just type in check engine light on and off, they'll bring up an article explaining right. all of that to you in detail. Okay. Don't, also, don't they have an intake positioning sensor they on do. that, too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on, there's a camshaft sensor, too. Yeah, well, cam, uh, crank. I mean, it's generally this... a cam and crank. So this is the position sensor, right? which I'm not sure. Some of them, that also takes the place of the cam sensor because right. it can calculate the change, and it's look, it's just looking for a signal as far as the cam sensor goes. You're able to right. see so many turns per revolution. And a lot of the newer stuff, they've gotten away from that because they, they can take the crank sensor and just divide by two and get the cam sensor especially if they have a position sensor on it. So all that stuff has changed up so much, Joe, in later years. Nothing you ever thought you understood necessarily is going to apply to anything new. It confuses some techs. Yeah. <laughs> so, Well, well you going to retire, Lou? No, no, not yet. Uh-huh. Not yet. You Close, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm there, I'm there Monday and Tuesday. Okay. All right, then. Okay, Good Joe. You, man. All right. All right, boy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want part of the automotive, we'd love to have you, and we'll take your question on any automotive topic this morning. Not just necessarily what we're talking back and well, forth we about. We're talking a little bit about brakes and right. stuff, but of course, you don't have to call on that if that's not what's on your mind. You'll take any kind of comment or question or whatever you may have. That's what we're here for. There you go. Now, once you have checked everything out, the next step, I guess, is to clean everything. Well, and one step before that, you want to check for any leaks, right? If there's any kind of leak in the system, whether it be at the brake lines, the calipers, the wheel cylinders, that needs to be addressed with the rest of the operation. Correct. Now, the thing most people don't check is they're losing fluid and don't understand where it's going Mm -hmm. because there's no external leaks out on the ground. There's no leaks at the components at each wheel. Come to find out the master cylinder has started leaking out of the back and it leaks into the brake booster. Right. Now, worse even still, you're losing fluid. You go in and you find two leaking wheel cylinders on the back. You assume that that's that where was the leak, fluid's going, but you can't assume. What you have to do is check the master cylinder each Correct. and every time because you may have an external leak, but you may also have a leak there. Right. The 
the easiest way, the most technical way to do it would be to take the master cylinder, remove the two nuts, and take it off of the booster, mm-hmm. and take a, a dipstick or something. I like to use a zip tie because they're they're clean, they're Plastic. long. And reach down in there and see if there's any fluid inside that booster. Right. If there is, the booster is been contaminated, mm-hmm. so it needs to be replaced. Yeah, because if you just go and put a mouse cylinder on it, what happens is that that fluid gets in, it deteriorates the diaphragm, so now you got vacuum on the back of it. You put a new mouse cylinder, it just sucks the seals right back out the new one. Exactly. So those are generally changed in pairs. Right. When you master. have a failure on the master, you change the booster and, and vice versa, unless the master fails externally. Mm-hmm. But when fluid has run into the booster, you're real dollars ahead just to go ahead and replace those as a pair. Yes, sir. Let's go back to our phone lines. Todd, good morning, Todd. Hey, appreciate your show. Thank you. Thank you. I have a 95 Lincoln, and the ignition switch is hanging up where when you pull the key out, it'll still ding. Is, okay. is it better WD-40 or graphite? Neither one. Lubricant. Neither okay. one. Neither one. <laughs> the locksmith we use has a lubricant he likes, and okay. we have adapted it there at the shop. I forget what it's called. It's G-something, but any good locksmith should have it for you. The reason they okay. don't like graphite is because it gets in there and it starts gumming up things after a while. I know it's yeah. not supposed to, but he said in a lock cylinder it does. Yeah, and same and thing with WD-40. WD-40. Yeah. Now, on that, Todd, if it's ding, 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 and what's happened, there's a little copper contact in the top of that cylinder. And okay. it comes down and hits that key, and that's what makes the contact. That's what sets the chime off when you leave the keys in. What's happened is it's come apart and it's laying down there and it's touching something in the cylinder. So if, okay. if you don't get in there and get that little contact out or replace the cylinder, that's going to fall down in the wrong spot, and it's going to lock up, either lock the key in the car or you're going to put out. the key yeah. into the car. Either way, you're going to be stranded. Right. So right. you got and, a bigger problem in lubrication at this point. And right now is the best time to go ahead and deal with that because the way you take that cylinder out, you have to turn the, the ignition switch over to, I think that one is run, and then there's a button you push on the bottom that releases the cylinder from the housing. Now, okay. without the key in it, it is a major catastrophe oh, yeah. to try to take that out. Yeah, if that piece falls in there and you can't and put a key in it to rotate can't turn it, it, now you're into drilling and right. and, and it, it's necessarily made hard to disassemble because a thief could get into it if it sure. was easy. Right. So right. you could take a 15-minute job and turn, turn it into, into a three-hour job. Three or four-hour job of disassembling the whole steering column if you wait until that piece jams up. Right. Right. Okay, the new ignition switch can be rekeyed to the old exactly key right. Yes. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, they can. In fact, most Fords are going to come unkeyed. Right. You'll have to key it. A lot of times okay. they'll come with the tumblers and the springs and everything. I find it just as easy to take it to the locksmith. He yeah. knows what he's doing. It takes him ten minutes. It takes me about an hour to rekey one. Right. I can send it. Yeah, it, it's that right. difficult. I can send it yeah. over there. Ten minutes, he can have it done. I'll pay him, put it in the car. Yeah, and you're they, done. They you charge know? you ten, fifteen yeah. bucks, and they can do it real fast and easy, and make sure it works right. And I'm sure the ignition switch varies cost per make, you know, per maker per oh, year. Oh yeah, all that absolutely. Or, yeah, they, they're not terribly expensive on a Ford. I'm gonna guess somewhere in the forty to fifty dollar range, but yeah, that, I, that's, I might be off a little bit on that. And that's yeah, that's okay. a dealer part. That is a Ford part. Yeah, I would buy a right. Ford oh, part. Oh yeah, definitely. There's some aftermarket yeah. ones out there. I find they don't work right. They right. jam up and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Okay. And if you get that one out, you may be able to take it to the locksmith and have him rework that one. Well, he may be able to just take that little broken piece out right and if you're not that worried about the chime sometimes they can just remove that just okay. take it completely out that way it can't jam anything up it's just chime won't work anymore but i've seen them do that yeah. as well just a reminder that chime just a reminder that you left the key in. That's exactly right. that's right yeah okay all righty thank you all very much all right. you're Appreciate welcome it. all right man. thanks Todd. bye-bye
All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And one reason that you want to clean the brakes right. before you get started here, number one, it makes it a lot nicer job. You don't have the nasty black dust all over your clothes and hands and what have you. Yeah, because when you pull that drum off, that dust is built up, and it usually lands in the bottom of that drum. Right. And when you take it off, and first thing you do when you take it off and you dump you tilt it a little bit, mm-hmm. that stuff runs out on the floor. Well, not only that, but it fl- gets in the air, and this is a very, very, very fine powder that's all ground up. Now, for the most part, they don't use asbestos and brakes anymore, but again, it's mm-hmm. not good to breathe it. Exactly. Whatever it is, whether it's ceramic, whether it's metallic, whatever it is. It's not designed to be in a human lung. That's right. The less of that you breathe today, the more you're going to like it 20 years from today, <laughs> exactly. I will assure you. So what you do is you take a good soap and water, type of cleaner just some kind of a soap and water powdered uh, laundry detergent if you want right mix it up a little bit and just take and brush all that down get it nice and wet that will keep all that dust in containment Contain. put a bucket under it to catch it so it doesn't go all over the ground and all that and dispose of it when you're through but a good thorough cleaning of the entire system before you begin not only that, but it will also uh, sometimes it'll make things more apparent because when they're dirty and gummed up you, you may see. overlook something sure so you want to contain all that dust you don't want to breathe it and again you don't want to have to work on a filthy system right and i have personally gone to a pair of rubber gloves Mm -hmm. you know uh rubber latex gloves right to do that kind of work i like to keep that stuff out of my skin if it's wet or dry i don't like it on my hands yeah well it's like i said who knows what's in it exactly you know and they say that it's probably not as bad as asbestos but who knows it may may be worse (laughs) asbestos wasn't that bad back in the day we just don't know we don't know (laughs) So, yeah, a good thorough cleaning of the system, good inspection. Now you're ready to start dissembling things. Mm-hmm. And depending on what things you found with your inspection, you're either going to need a pair of brake pads, right. maybe pads and shoes, possibly pads, shoes, and cylinders. Another real wise thing, if the car is a number of years old, those brake hoses, take your finger and just kind of rub on that hose and if the black comes off and sticks to your finger, that hose is starting to deteriorate. Right. And if it's deteriorating on the outside, the inside is it's not far probably behind. probably even worse. Another thing is to flex the hoses and look for cracks in them. Because most brake hoses will last about 10, 12 10, years. Right. But if you've got a car that's 20 years old, 25 years old, you are way dollars ahead to go ahead and replace those rubber hoses. Oh, yeah. Because if that hose breaks out, I mean. You're going to lose, lose at least half of the system. At least half. And that may be something you really can't afford to do and when you're coming up behind somebody about 60 miles an hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they decide to lock their brakes up. Yep. So, again, you want to make a good list. That way you make one trip to the parts store, you get everything at one time, come back, and then we'll talk about what you do from there. Hey, one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. 
Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Got a comment, concern, you give us a call, 291-6901. But this morning, we are talking about brakes. There you go. Of course, we will also entertain a question on any topic you might have. That we will. Car won't stop, car won't start. All the same. (laughs) (laughs) We were, again, getting to the point where we've inspected the car, we've cleaned it up, checked the hoses. And again, like you mentioned during the break, you want to check those hoses where the metal crimps to the rubber. Right. They're bad about cracking right there. They'll crack right there. Anytime that hose goes through a bracket Mm -hmm. between the body and the, the suspension, need to check it there. A lot of times, the old Chevrolet trucks had a bracket that bolted to the upper control arm. And it would rust inside of that bracket around that, that hose, and, and it would, could would take up. Yeah, it would take up enough space to where it would squeeze that hose down. And you get a brake pull. Yep. Now again, where we go from there depends on what we found in our inspection. Sure. For instance, if the pads are worn off on one side and not the other, and one rotor looks like it had been a lot hotter than the other, well, now we probably want to change the calipers mm-hmm. and we want to change the brake hoses. And that's one of those things, it's sort of like an equation in algebra, which you do to one side, you do to the other side. Sure. You don't change one caliper, you don't change one brake hose. Right. Because you're going to end up with some type of an imbalance, and you're going to end up with a brake pull or other problems you just can't get rid of. So, again, depending on what things you found, you took the wheel cylinders, pulled the little rubber boots back, looked inside, made sure there's no fluid in there. If it is, then you're changing the wheel cylinders. Right, because the fluid has gotten past the, the cup seal past the piston, and is now leaking into the boot. The boot is not a boot that holds liquid. No, it's not a liquid seal. It's a seal to keep grit and grime out of the cylinder. Right. But it's an external seal. It is not an internal seal that seals fluid pressure. Correct. So any fluid that gets into that boot is a a bad. It's kind of like a rack and pinion. Any fluid that's in the boot doesn't mean the boot is bad, although the boot may be bad as well, but it means that fluid has leaked past the seal, and now it's in the boot. Right. So just depending on that, you make up your list of all the different components you're going to need, and that's when you start getting your different components to do this stuff. Now, with brake pads, you are going to be dollars far, far, far ahead to go back to the original equipment manufacturer, the dealer, Mm -hmm. and buy the OEM brake pad. Correct. Now, be careful because a lot of dealerships also sell a second line. For instance, Nissan has a second line. Right. GM has a second line. Toyota Ford, has a... Toyota even has a second line now. Right. Which is not the original equipment part. It's basically an aftermarket part in the box, box. of the manufacturer. And the reason they do that is economics. People go on the internet and they go here and they call parts stores and they find the cheapest one they can. And they say, hey, if you want a cheap pad, we can say a cheap pad too. Sure. But the thing is, the theory at Agco, for sure, and our entire theory is overall lowest cost. Correct. You save fifty bucks on a set of brake pads. You put on a set. Of, you put on a set of rotors with a set of aftermarket brake pads. The first thing you're going to notice is a month, two months, maybe three months down the line, mm-hmm. you get the brake shimmies back. Well, that is going to warp your rotors, ruin a set of rotors, wear them out a lot of times. Another thing may be that it may squeak and squeal from the day you put them on. Yep. Because they're just not designed like the original equipment part was. So sometimes I've seen where the car just won't stop. The mm-hmm. pedal is nice and high and hard. You can hit just, the brakes and just it just doesn't stop. The coefficient of friction on that material just wasn't correct. 
The point is you can save yourself a world of grief, get a much better job by going and buy the original equipment brake pads. Exactly. Now, that being said, on rotors, most good name brand rotors will work. Sure. I don't necessarily recommend some of the cheapest Chinese ones you can find out there, but most brake rotors is a piece of cast iron. And if you live up north, then the better rotors are a necessity because you get a corrosion problem. They don't have as much nickel in the cheap rotors. Right. In the south, we don't have much trouble with corrosion on the rotors, but you do have the problem with warpage because of the heat and also the wear in Mm -hmm. the faces. Now, a lot of times people ask, well, how about turning rotors? And the days of turning rotors are all but gone. Right. I mean, manufacturers have been building cars, and they have realized that weight costs gas mileage. Right. So they start reducing the weight anywhere they can, and brake rotors is a heavy component. It is a a component that they can take some weight off of, so they start making them thinner and thinner and thinner to reduce the weight on the vehicle. And what you end up with is a rotor that works for a while, and then it once it warps, it's yeah. done. If it's warped, you cannot turn a warp out of a rotor because this goes through the entire casting. You go in, you cut two faces parallel to one another again, and it's, it's just going to come back. right back again. Not only that, but many, many rotors are very near discard when they're new. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not like the old days we had 60,000 additional material on there. Right. At most, there might be 15,000 additional material, and some of them are a lot less than that. So the days of turning rotors is just about gone. Right, and they're already thin, so you turn them even thinner, they're not going to dissipate the heat as good as they did before, and you're just asking for trouble trying That's to right. turn them. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to replace rotors every time. If the car has no type of shutter or shimmy, it stops perfectly smooth, there's no warpage in it, and the face of the rotor is smooth, it's Fairly not smooth. dished in, well, anything that won't catch your fingernail, if you drag your fingernail across this rotor and it doesn't catch your fingernail, it's probably going to be acceptable. You wash them good, and you can put them back on without mm-hmm. doing anything to them. Now, you don't just go turn them every time like you did one time because you're taking material off that you need. They're already too thin. Right. That's why they warp. So you don't want to just turn a rotor for no reason. Exactly. If it's good, wash reuse it, it. Reuse it. If it's bad, replace it. Mm-hmm. And most rotors today just slip on. There's no extra labor involved. It's not like the old days we had to pack the bearings and all that stuff. They just slip on, so basically there's no extra labor and they're fairly cheap. Rotors have yeah, come not- way down in price because there's not a whole lot to them anymore. Now, of course, there's always the exception that makes the rule. If you got like a Ford F-350 where the rotor is $300, well, yeah, you might check it. If it's enough material, you may consider turning it or something like that. But the vast majority of people who have a Toyota, a Honda, or Chevrolet Impala, or whatever, mm-hmm. all the different cars out there, Ford Taurus, the rotors are already going to be pretty close to discard. So right. Check them good. If they're good, reuse them. If they're not good, dispose of them and get another set of rotors. Yep. And you're going to be way, way ahead. Now, a few of the other things that wear that a lot of people don't look at, one is the backing plates. On a drum brake system. Mm -hmm. On a drum brake system where the shoes touch the backing plate, there are some little pads. Yep. Now, those pads have to be lubricated because that shoe moves in and out, and every time it does, it rubs. Right. That pad has to be smooth or have that crosshatch pattern in it, but it has to be the same level across it. Like Lewis was saying, that pad moved, that shoe moves in and out on that pad, and eventually, without lubrication, it will wear a groove into that little pad. Mm-hmm. And then what happens when you put a new set of pads on it, a um, new set of shoes, I'm sorry, and you hit the brakes, well, that shoe gets hung up, in right. that groove, and then all of a sudden it pops out, and the right. wheel locks up. Now, 
Another thing that happens also is because they're sitting in these little grooves, the shoes are not sitting square with the drum like they should be. Mm -hmm. So when you adjust the brake, which we'll talk about in a little while, it may feel like it's fully adjusted. But then when you hit them a couple of times, now they're too loose right. or too tight because they jump out of that groove, and now either the rear brakes are locking up on you or they start to smoke. And there is a correct way to – there's two ways to, to address that problem. The first way is you can unbolt that backing plate and replace it with a new one. Mm -hmm. They are available in some manufacturers. The ones that are not are – you can take a welding machine and you can weld that little groove back up and then remachine it down so it's flat again and it works like it's supposed to. Right. In some cases, that is cost effective because you have to remove the wheel bearing and the axle and everything else to get it out. So it's not just the price of the backing plate. Right. It's the price to get to it and replace it. Right. The backing plate may only be 40 or $50, but if it's going to take three hours labor and right. just simply rear end, then it may be cheaper just to weld those up, machine them back down, and we do that in the shop a lot of times. Some of your front-wheel drive vehicles with a solid rear axle, when you unbolt the bearing, the backing plate comes off. Right. So it, it's cost-effective to go ahead and replace those. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, the other way is, is definitely cost-effective to weld it up, remachine it, and just keep going. Right. Now, another thing that a lot of people don't think about, and that is the brake fluid. And brake fluid is made out of alcohol right. for the most part, which means it absorbs moisture out of the air, which is what it's supposed to do. It absorbs the moisture that gets into the system, but you have to purge that out to get rid of the moisture and the contaminant and the rust and the corrosion and all the things that form in the brake system over the years. Now, the thing is you don't want to do, and I've seen it done over and again, people have like leaking wheel cylinders or bad mass cylinder, whatever. Right. they would go in, hang all their new components on there. And then flush it out. Then bleed the brakes, and they're pushing all this nasty contaminated fluid right through these new components. That's just like rebuilding an engine and putting the old oil back Dumping in. Dumping the old oil back in, or rebuild a transmission, dump the old transmission fluid back in it. You just wouldn't do that. Right. Same thing with the brake system. You want to go in and purge that system thoroughly before you start changing any hydraulic components correct that way you get rid of all the debris because it's all in the calipers it's all that's the, the lowest, lowest point. point in the system that's where all that stuff tends to accumulate so go in and thoroughly purge the system out before you start that way you've got nice clean fluid in it you hang your new and parts and that you won't. eliminates another problem and that is when you go to put those pads on the first thing you can notice is those caliper pistons are extended sure. so the new pad won't fit right you have to push those pistons back in but if that caliper is full of nasty, contaminated fluid, when you squeeze it and push it back in, you just back flush it through the system into the ABS control unit. And that causes a major catastrophe Well, yeah, sometimes. I mean, it may be that two days later, maybe even before you get the wheels back on, the ABS light pops on, yep. and you're buying a $1,500 ABS modulator because you've just purged a bunch of trash back into it. And a lot of those, you have to have the factory scan tool to go in and fluctuate and Move run the, the solenoids and stuff and that way you can purge the air out but you, a lot of them you can't purge the air out of that system out of the abs system without the scan tool right if you get air into that system so that's the thing you don't ever want to get air in what you want to do when you try to purge the system start out at the master cylinder get something like a bulb that way you can extract the fluid take right. all the nasty fluid out of the reservoir refill with fresh fluid and then push the fresh fluid through the system bleeding out at each wheel correct and you keep doing that until you get fresh fluid coming out. That way you've got all the contaminants out before you begin. So you have way, way less possibility of causing a problem, causing a problem, getting some contaminant where you don't want it and creating a major issue that never needed to exist. Exactly. 
So that's just a little tip right there that'll save you a whole bunch of time and money. Hey, we've got to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with the end of the show. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Atrium Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Let's catch a couple of these phone calls. we got Brent on the line. Good morning, Brent. Good morning, sir. I've got a GMC truck that is just driving me insane. Okay. Basically, I was parked in my father's driveway, and the truck just killed. I was running on, I was talking to my doctor, talking to my daughter, it was idling, and it just killed. I turned the key back on, I hear a high-pitched whining sound that you usually hear from the fuel pump, then it went out, then it wouldn't do it again, so I pulled the hood, and the 40-amp fuse, the big heavy-duty fuse, had blown. So I went down, and I got another fuse, came back with the hood up, put that fuse out, plugged the, plugged the fuse in, and I heard that high-pitched whining sound, and it blew the fuse immediately. So I said, well, I'm not going to go buy another fuse right now, if that's the problem, let's see if I can figure out what it is. I started across the two things so that it would have no way it would blow. Well, I did that because I was, you know, I wanted to see what the noise was long enough because it blew within five seconds. No more noise. So then I tried the fuel rail, no no gas coming out. So it's got to be your fuel pump. So I know that's what, that's what I'm finding. So I pulled the bed off, and we take the fuel pump out, and the fuel pump set it in a five-gallon bucket of gas, 12 volts works fine. Plug it back in, it don't work. So then one of the guys at the GM place said, you got an open ground. So I went back and I found a ground, which is an angle that holds the e-brake cables that had, wasn't connected to the truck, but it didn't look like it was connected for a while. But I grinded it, put it on there, put it up, put it on there, cranked right up. I said, well, then obviously that was the issue. About a week later, maybe three or four days later, I'm at my house. I backed up to do something, got ready to pull up, would not crank. Took the bed off. Pulled around with the pump, pump's working fine, left it there for a couple of days, and the battery went dead. I recharged it, this is important because somebody else's theory, and then the truck cranked up for three days in a row. The truck cranked up fine. So I put the bed back on, drove the truck to the front, and let it sit there for a few minutes, killed, no fuel pump working. So someone said, well, possibly the when you were playing around with it, you got the impression that you were trying to seal it, so the security system was cutting off the fuel pump, and when it went dead and you recharged it is the same as taking the ground wire off before the fuel pump started working again so obviously that was it i said well okay well that makes sense except then i drove it up after we ran and it just killed on its own oh then the pump may be getting hot so we went and got another pump put it in put it in the tank put 12 volts to it pump fine put the plug to it turn it on 
first few seconds, pumps fine, and then goes off like it's supposed to. Turn the key on, pumps continuously, hooks it up, put the bed back on again for the fourth time, drove it to the front of the house for a little while, five minutes later, poof, will not pump gas out of the fuel rail. I tell you what, I, I would want to know Brent first on why it blew that 40 amp fuse. Yeah. Me too. That didn't go away. And no. you got to solve that before you do anything else. You right. got, and the only way you blow a 40 amp fuse, you got a dead shark somewhere. Right. And I thought maybe the initial pump got in a bind because it's I was sitting on the hill. That's, yeah. that's what it protects. It's, I mean, it's possible. But again, man, to pop a 40 amp fuse, it takes a I lot. Know. That's a lot. And, you know? And smoked it and smoked it. But then when I put the solder across there, it never did it again. And when I well, most it, likely it burned up whatever yeah. it was protecting. Right. And now, again, you got to figure out what else is on that circuit. Now, the other thing that I did was while I was sitting there working on the fuel pump I bought last Saturday to make sure it pumped before I put it in, and the truck was sitting out there all by itself, mm -hmm. the alarm system went off, and yeah. the alarm system shut back off. It went back off. When it went off, while I was sitting in the driveway and nobody around it. And I don't even know about this truck. I bought it secondhand. I didn't even know it had an alarm system. Oh, yeah, they all, they all do. Yeah, everything's got that. And that right. will shut the fuel pump down for absolutely certain. But, again, you got to go back and figure out what right. else is on that circuit that blew that 40-amp fuse. Well, I went to the GM dealer, and he gave me that, and there's nothing else that we can find on that circuit. Uh, I've tried that, no, 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 yes. no. That's not so because a, a fuel pump doesn't pull anywhere close to 40 amps. Right. you got a 40-amp fuse. It's got a lot more on that circuit than that. you got you going to have right. to get – listen to me, Brent. You're going to yeah. have to get a wiring diagram. You're going to have to find out what else is on that circuit, and you got to find out what caused that problem. Because everything else is going to relate right back to that. Now, it, I mean, it, you can put fuel pumps in it for the rest of your life. You can this guy said that, this guy said that. Until you do right. that, you're absolutely wasting your time, like you've been doing. Right. I you, know, you can. I know. And the fuel, the fuel, the fuses that were on there, those slow blow fuses, is actually a slow blow and a regular. Yeah, and but it still takes more than forty amps to blow it. Yeah. Right. That, that yeah, sounds like a direct. Yeah. Uh, ground. Something. Something is on, taking so, that on that out. circuit. Probably not the fuel pump. Something else on that circuit is blowing that fuse. You just yeah. got to get a wiring diagram, and you got to find out what that is, where it goes, what it goes across. But why, does, but why when it sits for a few days, it'll pump? And then you crank it up, and it works fine. Because when that fuse blows, it may be doing something else. It may be arming the theft system, which is shutting the fuel pump down. I mean, again, yeah. you're going way, way around the tree. You see, you've I, I, got I, to find out what that problem is. But after getting my butt kicked for six months, taking this bed off four or five times, yep. going to the yep. junkyard. Or well, whatever, hey, you're going to be learning a part lesson. You're I'm ready to bring it to y'all. So where yep. are you located so I can bring, bring well, it up there to you? Just go to our website. We'll, uh, you find us at agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a map on there from anywhere in the world. Yeah, we can yeah. figure that out. I'm, no time flat. Yeah, but y'all offer courses, aren't you? That's yes, correct. Mm -hmm. yes, okay, I, all right. I may just drag this bad boy over there yeah. for you. Well, it's probably a whole lot easier and cheaper. Yep. <laughs> I know, uh, we'll see. I, I know y'all charge by the hour to figure yep. it out, but it has to be something that we oh, can yeah. fix. Otherwise, I've been, it's been kicking my butt. Yeah. Fix. Oh, I, I guarantee we'll find something on that circuit that yeah. that's causing it, and it's probably causing all the other problems, too. <laughs> all right. I appreciate that. All okay. right, buddy. All right, all right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're only part of the automotive hour, we've got Alan online. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. I've got a quick question for you. Sure. Driving with my son the other day, he has a Toyota Camry. And we came to a stoplight, and the AC started getting warm. Okay. Okay. And it was a very, very long stoplight. And as soon as we got past the stoplight and picked up back to road speed, mm -hmm. the air conditioner started working again. Yeah, you okay. need to quit driving the car, yep. quit using the air conditioner until you get that check. Most likely, Alan, you got one of your cooling fans is not working, and the head pressure is going sky high, and it shut the AC down. 
But if you keep driving, it'll take the compressor out, and you're going to take a moderately expensive right. job and turn it into a monstrously expensive job. Gotcha. So okay. Don't use the AC until you can get that check. Most likely, you got a cooling fan not working. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right, Al. Thanks. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. I see we just about out of time. And we're going to start winding on right. up, getting on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and get some more people listening for us. Hey, go go to site. And if there's a written review, go ahead and fill that out for us. And that'll get more people listening. We'll come up higher on things. If you just can't find a written review, go to Google and just go to our company website and leave a review there. Perfect. There you go. That'll help us just as much. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a wonderful weekend.